Hey everybody, welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu, episode number 105. My name is Gabe Estel. I'm here with my co-host Jonathan Sedan Delivery Gets and Levi when you dance leech. All right. How's it going, guys? Oh, amazing with that introduction. Oh, Good, right. I mean, you've, you've teased right. one of my entries here. So go I know. Mine too. Well yeah. Fuck, I don't know. Do we have the same thing? But <laughs> no. anyway, folks, um, we uh, we keep plowing through here. Um, our, our, this will be released as a box set uh, after we finish it, um, which we started it back in 2017. No, just kidding. It's been a few months uh, ago. We're going through a big list of 100 which we thought, eh, we'll get through this in two episodes. Five episodes later. Um, we're, we're in our, um, this is our 100 items um, between uh, that we're appreciative uh, of in baseball and music. So 100 things related to baseball and music that really, um, that really uh, warm our hearts and uh, make us grateful for the game and the music. Um, so... Want to remind everybody before we get started, you can hear uh, our most recent episode uh, prior to this one, as well as all the others prior to that one, at rockchew.com. You can follow us on Twitter and the Instagram at rockinchew. Okay. Um, and then also you can um, uh, like us on Facebook and listen to us on any of your favorite podcast apps. Okay, so we're moving through our list here, and um, in a time where you know it's it's good to probably express some gratitude, even though things look a little bleak out there right now for everybody. Um, I guess should, I, I guess I can go ahead and start, right? I, I, I guess is that okay? All right, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, I'm not not greedy, but uh, anyway, I'll go ahead and start here. Um, you know, this one, this next one, uh, and I want to bear in mind we made these lists. You know, probably, gosh, about five, six months ago. So, um, you know, they, they might have taken on a, a, a little bit of a different tone if uh, if we made them, you know, today. But, um, you know, my number 15 and, uh, you know, he's a, a he's a, a he's actually been our most featured guest on this this podcast. Um, I'm talking about. I think four or five time guest uh, Ricky Cobb, who hosts uh, who hosts the Twitter feed Super Seventy Sports. In case um, I assume many of our listeners are probably familiar with it, but just in case you're not, it's pretty much. Um, I think I read a columnist say that some days it's the best things on on Twitter. Other thing, other days it's the best thing on the internet. <laughs> and I could not disagree more. I think it's the writer from the New York Post. I can't remember who it was. You could not agree that. more. I could not agree more. Yeah, right. Uh, sorry about that. Whoops. Yes, I must say. Um, I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, I, everybody can read the Twitter feed, and uh, I wouldn't do it justice by repeating a lot of them. Um, but I will say this. Um, my favorite one is um, – where he has Gary Coleman in the Padres outfit and it says Disney was disappointed. I'm paraphrasing here that, that honey, I shrunk Dave Winfield was a box office disaster. It said, um, that is, that's still my favorite one. You know, we've all got kind of like our favorite onion article, you know, or our favorite onion picture. I I have a, my favorite, uh, super seventies. What's that? 
it's um it's a shot of like the golden era Wayne Gretzky when he's got the permed <laughs> hair yeah. and he's got yeah. his shirt off and he's wearing like umbros and he's like sitting on the ice, like laying on it, posing. Huh. And then I, I'll paraphrase. It said something like, like Playboy was disappointed in the sales of the princess diary. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he does. He looks. He looks dude. just like that era <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No. That dude. He's. I mean, obviously, we've had him on the show for for those listeners out there who are, are regular follow who are followers of his Twitter feed, um, or have heard him on this show. He's he's uh, he's he's just a, a quick witted dude who. Um, who can just hang, you know, Ricky's just a good hang, uh, whether it's on this show or follow him on Twitter. It's, it's one of the things that, um, hell, I don't even tweet that much, but I get on Twitter basically to read super 70 sports. Essentially. Right. Will yeah, you summarize too. super 70 sports for our listeners who might not be? Yeah, I'll try. Well, fuck, I'll try my best. Um, super, it, it's a, uh, a, a, a Twitter feed where, uh, the host, reminisces and pays homage to 70s sports photos and 80s too and, and, and some 80s and also yeah. some pop and also i'd say some pop culture from right. that, yeah. that era yeah. too and some people just, like to give him shit they'll be like that's from 87 and he always like takes them down too <laughs> like like he, he he can he can silence his critics that's not from well. the 70s yeah <laughs> um so i think it, it started as that and it, it, it's still that's kind of the core of it um but it's really just um pictures with really funny captions um they're all original um it's it's just really really sharp and biting and smart and um, you'll just you'll laugh out loud, you know. I, I don't know how I'm not doing it justice there, but I mean it's uh, right. That's, and that's, I mean that's the crux of it. Considering yeah. how long he's been around, I mean, there's not a ton of repeats. There are some, but you know what some, I mean. Yeah, every every artist has their greatest hits. You know what I mean. You, you know, there aren't a lot of repeats. He does, you know, recycle a few of them, but there are some imitators out there, and they're not that funny. There, I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen, like, because they come up in my suggestions. No, I, I didn't know there are now. Wow. They'll, they'll be like, you know, like cool 80s baseball or something, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, and, and, and like, I'll go to them, you know, and they'll have like, they'll have like more followers than they deserve, you know, like probably like 30,000 or so. And there's, there's a blatant ripoff. I mean, like they don't, they, they don't necessarily plagiarize his post, no, but like but it is 100% derived from his feed. I mean, like the inspiration for it. There, I mean, there's no doubt, you know, and it's just not that fun. And, and they're not as funny or as clever as as his. Um, so he spawned some imitators and they are far inferior. There you imitators. go. That's the uh, sincerest form of flattery. There you go. Yeah. So uh, but no, he's got go to Super 70 Sports dot com, too. He's got. He's got, you know, clothing now, like from yeah. you know, t- T-shirts from everything from like, you know, old Hartford, old like old ABA shirts to like, you know, Caddyshack shirts. Just all the cool shit that we that, you know, most people who like baseball and rock and roll and pop culture a lot from the, that era. Things you'll appreciate. So hats off. He is uh, probably my favorite thing on the Internet most days. 
Right on. There you Absolutely. Go. That's a good one, man. Yeah, he's uh, Ricky's. Ricky's hats off, buddy. He, he's, um, a, he's a Twitter treasure. He oh, is. Yeah. He is. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have him on the show again soon, and um, I uh, I'm he he deserves all of his success, and and then some. Sure. Well, right on. Um, yeah. Good one there. Uh, my next choice is going to be an album that I'm pretty sure I've talked about before on this podcast, at least probably twice. But it's an album that um, just has stuck with me ever. You know, basically, it's an album that I've had different experiences with my entire life. So I grew up with this album. Like I said in the last episode, I watched a lot of MTV growing up with my sister, who was 10 Mm -hmm. years older than me. Mm -hmm. And so in 1985, Dire Straits came out with an album called Brothers in Arms. And it was literally all over MTV. The Money for Nothing video and then the Walk of Life video were just like in constant rotation. So growing up as a kid, I... I developed a relationship with Dire Straits based off of that. And at first, it was almost like I thought of them as like a whimsical band on this because Money for Nothing has like some of the first video animation in it, like computer animation. And then the Walk of Life video is filled with like sports bloopers and um, like sports highlights and stuff. So it's like, definitely I, a campy record for them, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like I, I, you know, I, I. That was my introduction to the band. Yeah, I'd never heard here. Sultans of Swing or anything at that point, and so it's just crazy that as the older I've gotten, the more I've gotten into records and into audiophile, you know, music. That album has followed me. Because it's considered one of the greatest sounding records like ever made. Um, it was one of the f- the SACDs that won a Grammy, which is like, you know, SACDs, not a ton of them had done that ever. What do you mean um, by SACDs? Super audio CDs. Uh-huh. They were high definition CDs that basically are surround sound. Albums are mastered for that format. So it's not like a guy just comes in and takes something that was already recorded and then tries to like split it into multiple channels. It like it's like these albums are like remastered and basically almost re-recorded to an extent in that surround sound format. So I have um I have Brothers in Arms, I have Dark Side of the Moon is a really good one. There's parts of Dark Side of the Moon where it's swirling around you in surround sound. You have to have a pretty decent surround sound system, you know, to, I mean, you can't just have like a cheap, cheap system, but, um, also are you saying that the engineering of the SACD won the Grammy? I'm not sure. I believe so. Yeah. It won the Grammy for, um, the SACD won the Grammy for, I'm pretty sure best engineering. Okay. Got it. And, um, like in its original day when it was released in 1985, it was the first album to ever sell a million CDs. Mm-hmm. That's a good uh, question. Yeah. And, and, and it was the first album to sell more CDs than its vinyl counterpart. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And yeah. 
And so, but they were still, what's so crazy is an executive for Ryko Disc, which was a a label back in that era, um, was talking in an interview about how when that album came out, it was so popular on CD that none of the other like recording companies could get their disc press due to like the worldwide demand of like the world manufacturing facilities. Mm. Like Dire Straits. They, they were bogarting the, the presses. Yeah. Like Dire Straits was selling so many CDs that other record companies could not get their CDs pressed. Get the fucking line is what Dire Straits was saying. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> And so it's just cool that that album has um, kind of grown with me, you know, and then it got me into Dire Straits, obviously, into their past catalog and just a great band, which I could say now that, you know, it may not be necessarily my favorite Dire Straits record, but it's Mm -hmm. the one that means the most probably to me. Sure. Just because it was, like I said, I can remember like, you know, laying on the carpet, watching Money for Nothing come on, being like, "What? Like, what is this? <laughs> like, you know what I mean?" Because mm-hmm. of that, like, and, and looking back on it now, it's like the worst computer animation ever. But, oh yeah, yeah. But like at the time, it was just like this is, you know, groundbreaking. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, you know, you you mentioned that that was your introduction to them and, and mine as well is probably a lot of America's introduction to them. I mean, I looked at, you know, the previous albums had charted in the U S but like, you know, that, that made them superstars over here too. Sure. Whereas, whereas I kind of associate them more with, with Britain before, you know, the arrival of, um, of brothers in arms, you know? Yeah. I, <laughs> I would say almost, I mean, I obviously don't know, but, it almost is like a case of like, I'm sure there were fans that were like, Oh, we were fans of the early days. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. sure some fans took, took brothers in arms as like a oh. sellout. Well, you know, I take that back. Their first album mm-hmm. actually went to number two in the U S. So I take oh, that. Back. I, knew, I knew that. <laughs> so, yeah. So never mind. <laughs> what do I know? Because yeah. it's sold swing like, on it. In yeah. between records that they were kind of dicey on. Like right. the, the records, the second record in basically on until Monday for nothing. Those yeah. albums didn't sell as well, for sure. Yeah. Love over gold. Yeah. Love over gold. My favorite. Yeah. Love over gold. Yeah. My favorite record. By oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm yeah. a self-titled guy. I yeah. Love that yeah. First oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I like them all. I mean, hell they've only got six LPs, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but no, they're, they're such, they're, there's so much. Levi brought up a good point. I mean, in the sense that, Brothers in Arms is, you know, has, you know, three or four singles that every, basically everybody that listened to the radio in the 1980s. Oh, yeah. But um, it's just a band that's so much more than that when you discover the rest of the catalog. I remember, I remember probably in college, I heard the rest of their catalog or, or a lot of it, at least beyond Brothers in Arms. And I was like, well, shit, stuff's mind blowing, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. So. Dude, I uh, think if I had like, Quite possibly, if I had like a desert island song, like if I had to listen to one song the rest of my life, mm-hmm. it could possibly be Water of Love. I just, yeah. I freaking yeah. love that song. Oh, the yeah. tone, the tone of the guitar on that song, it just, uh, I can, I can, I can hear that song and never get tired of it. 
Right, right. Killer tune. Absolutely. Um, now, wasn't wasn't like his brother in the band for a while? Oh, on that first album, yeah. It's on and the first then, album, um, okay. I don't know if it was like they kind of had a falling out or like... Yeah. Yeah, and he didn't... And then from that point on, like... Knopfler wasn't really afraid to like kick people in and out of the band. Like, yeah, like yeah, John. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Is it John Isley? Yeah, Isley? Something like yeah. The bass player. He yeah. was the bass player. He's pretty much been the one constant. Like right. they've had different drummers. They've had different other guitarists. They've had different yeah. bass players, or uh, not bass players, keyboardists. Yeah, I saw that they got back together in like like ninety two or so, something like that. Ninety three. 90, is that when they put out that record that had the single uh, Colin Elvis? I think so. That, um, that, I think that might have been the single off that record. And they put out like a live record too. Uh, it's their second live record. Um, which do you guys have? The, do you guys have their live record, the first one, Alchemy? Alchemy? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. A good one. yeah I don't have that one. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. My introduction to, to Dire Straits was a, a live rock palast. Uh, show in college and and uh, i think it was rock class and yeah it's like holy smokes th- this is what guitars are supposed to sound like oh, oh yeah my God. He's, that he's, guy has so much tone in his hands oh, oh, oh yeah he's a master he's a master dude um yeah he's i i kick myself for not seeing him solo um the, the couple opportunities that i've had and and who knows now with not only the future of Mark Knopfler playing live, but live music in general. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm I, definitely... I can, I can tally Knopfler. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you did? You saw yeah. it? What? Yeah. Oh, man. Where at? Where, where did you uh, here at the Midland, uh, in Kansas City. No shit. I didn't yeah. know you went to that. Yep. Fucking, yep. I don't think you, did you ever mention that to us? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> All maybe. right. Uh, yeah, but I'm, talking, actually, I'm, I'm like, I'm like scorning place. a child here, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> How dare Why you see Dollar and not tell us? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was killer. Um, I bet. Really good seats and uh, just awesome. Like sound. acoustic and electric, little of both, or um, there may have been a bit of acoustic in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it was a full band, uh, nice. of course. Uh, but yeah, billed as Mark Knopfler solo. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he came. It would probably been the same. This is what about three years ago or so, or a little longer than that. Um. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, looking it up right now. Um. And uh, my sorry, I I was automatically logged out of my setlist FM account. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, um. But yeah, it was maybe uh, six, seven years ago. Okay. Um. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I've I've missed probably like two or three opportunities to see him, you know, since I've lived in Chicago, which is now seventeen years. Um, yeah, he doesn't he just, like touring. He like, no, I, no. like he's totally over it. Yeah, and he has no desire to reunite Dire Straits either. No, like no. Yeah, to him, just, they're his not, songs. Yeah, basically. not not Fleur, not not Fleur, uh, marches to his own drum, you know. So yeah, <laughs> but like. I, what's funny is like I I I I'm more on his camp than I am the way that like Robbie Robertson did the band. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> kind sure. of like I don't sure. know, you know what I mean? Like Robbie Robertson was like, "Oh, I'm never gonna reunite the band or whatever. I'm never gonna play with those guys again." But like, 
I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then and then the band in like the eighties was like kind of sad too. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, twenty ten, April of twenty ten. Uh, Mark okay, Knopfler so, wow, at the Midland. Ten years ago. Um, closed the closed the set with Telegraph Road. Nice. Pretty pretty sweet. So, um, encore with Brothers in Arms. So far away and Piper to the end. So far yeah. away has become one of my favorite songs as I've yeah. gotten older. Gorgeous tune. Yeah. yeah, that's that's my favorite single on Brothers in Arms. Definitely. Right. Uh, as, as, I, as I get older. Yeah. Right. That's how many copies that album sold. Thirty million. Jeez. <laughs> Stuff. He doesn't need to tour. <laughs> well, Knopfler can afford the townhouse in London and the farm in Sussex or something, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 And he, even even his later stuff sounds awesome. It does. Um, no, it's re- that album. Yeah. Um, All the road running is very good with Emily Harris. Yeah, that was I have good. The one and then, with him and Chet Atkins is called like Over the Top. It's it's pretty good. Um, his. He had an album that came out just probably within the last six years or five or six years. Oh, Tracker is really good. Yeah. 2015, yeah. It's really good. And uh, he did a soundtrack to a movie called Metroland. It's like just kind of a little British movie. It's got Christian Bale in it and before he really became like huge, huge. like, um, And then I think somebody else's... British actresses in it. Um, and uh, he did the soundtrack to it. It's a really, really good soundtrack. I saw the movie, like, kind of just on a whim, you know, in college. Um, and I was like, oh, wait, Mark Knopfler did all the tunes for that. Yeah. So check that yeah. one out. Yeah, Dire Straits is a good candidate for a band to listen. You can listen to their catalog from beginning to end in, in one day. Uh, yeah. So right, they might, right. might might have to do that this week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. Right on. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna. Um, speaking of setlist FM, uh, which I just referenced, I'm. Uh, that is my fifteenth most favorite thing uh, about in baseball and rock and roll. So, uh, a couple of weeks ago, in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak uh, uh, in the United States, I received an email alert that didn't overwhelm me with dread. And rather than a COVID-related update, this was from Setlist FM, <laughs> a website devoted to archiving live music events, dates, locations, and setlists. I received the alert because a site user had updated the set list for a Ben Harper concert I attended in St. Louis in 1998. This, make no mistake, was a welcome distraction from current events. So for those who aren't familiar, the Setlist FM concert database is it's by no means comprehensive, but it grows every day, adding like brand new set lists or revising old concert details. Yeah, it's a wiki. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, exactly. And and database entries can be added or modified by users and administrators, uh, just like Wikipedia. And, and and users can create accounts that allow them to keep a record of shows they've attended and see a modest set of stats that result. So it's in my opinion, it's as close as we can come to like a sports page for live music, um, which is, it. yeah, it's 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 an extension of what, when I, I was in college, I check out jambands.com on a daily right, basis right. to see yeah. the latest sets for like Government Mule or, or Widespread Panic. And admittedly, that daily check kind of replaced the perusing of baseball box scores in the newspaper sure. when I was in college because I didn't yeah. have a newspaper. And and, but and, Sellers, and, and, and jambands.com actually called them box scores, too. They did, yes, yeah. to their credit. That that was a, that was a nice nice little touch on their yeah. part. Mm-hmm. Um, but Setlist FM, of course, is more than just jam bands. They'll report sets for any band, pretty much who has a fan 
devoted to reporting them. And, and yeah. you know, the day or the week after you attend a concert, you log in, you click, you know, the I was there button to add the show to uh. your concert history. And then um, you can visit your user charts page and review which bands you've seen the most and maybe which songs uh, you just heard live for the first time. And um, the sat sorting is a little simplistic, in my opinion. Um, uh, and But I won't gripe about a free website. Um and but it's it's equally fun in, in times like these without live music, uh, the website uh, you can you can just fall down a rabbit hole of set lists oh, for yeah. artists of concerts you didn't attend. So if whether you want to see how many songs like Paul McCartney played on the 1993 world tour, just 44 um, or how many times Gomez has played Kansas City five uh, <laughs> or what Megadeth most often opened and closed with on its 1993 countdown to extinction tour. Holy Wars, the punishment due and anarchy okay. in the UK respectively. All the right. Site this setlistfm.com should be considered your go to for such rabbit holes. <laughs> I was thinking hangar 18 is a little more towards the end of the show usually, but uh, with the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, also too, like you can, you know, um, you can, you can sort by city, you know, as mm-hmm. well. So it's, it was always kind of fun. Like they don't have the set list for, a, you'll see a lot of shows in there too, that don't have the set list, particularly like older shows yeah. from yeah. the sixties, seventies, eighties. So it was cool, you know, you can see who played Springfield, or at least a good idea of, of many of the bands that played Springfield, you know, or or um, places, you know, in smaller markets. It's it's always fun to see those. Um, yeah, I, I, I love it. I, um, I, I've, over the years, tried to input my concert history as best as I can recollect, sure. at least. I'm sure I'm missing a few or just embarrassed to say that I went to so many string cheese incident shows. <laughs> so I've, 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 I've purposefully excluded a few of them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I remember that Baker's dozen run you hit man. <laughs> <laughs> 13 shows yeah. in a row. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Gargantuan hemp necklace on. Yeah. Um, but um, anyway, the, the hey, fatter hey. the hemp, the headier yeah. you were, my man. Yeah. You know, I, God, I feel bad. Like I, I'd be really embarrassed. I've really beaten up string cheese over the years on this podcast, you know. And sorry, Michael Kang, if you're listening, uh, it's nothing personal, all right. But anyway, um, so uh, yeah, so it, it is. It is a great site, man. I've uh, Levi. Have you ever have you ever uh, entered any of yours? I've never or? entered any of mine, but now that I have some free time, I might you should I, sit I down, have a man. Bunch of my tickets. So there you go. Like, yeah. I can yep. just pull up my tickets and yeah, I could yep. go straight off of that. Yeah. And then obviously I could pull up the Bonnaroos and like, remember the ones the the member of the saw. shows I actually saw. <laughs> I've done that too. Like I, cause they have festivals in there and they'll, yeah. they'll separate the bands, you know? Uh, like, cause that Ben Harper show you went to gets was a horde festival. Right? It was horde. Yep. So yeah. So they'll, they'll separate out many of the bands, even if it's a festival gig. Um, so yeah, I tried to sort of tried to recall, you know, who I saw at Bonnaroo or Riot Fest, etc. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's just a great tool, man. It's a lot of fun. There is a because um, you had mentioned, you know, sort of like a, a sports page for concerts. I don't think it's it's gained a lot of momentum, but I'm just looking at my phone here because I've, I I I bookmarked it. Um, uh, one one time, and it's called Sports Passport. You guys ever heard about this? No. Mm-mm. I don't think it really ever took off. It's a wiki, um, and but you, you, you can um, 
enter you can keep track of the sporting events you've attended and it will okay. it will tell you the score um it usually has the box score um some stats uh like i said i i don't think it really ever got off the ground all that much so i, I don't necessarily know if it's that it's widely an interesting used. concept yeah. yeah i don't know if it's that widely used but it's pretty cool um yeah if it's a uh, sports passport either dot net or dot com um but yeah, it's it's worth checking out. I mean, I, I whoever made it, I, I I salute them for at least trying. Um, I don't think it's gained quite the same traction that something like Set, setlist.fm has, but it's a it's a similar concept. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, uh, it's 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 not a perfect website. But um, I, I feel like that there could be more granular breakdowns of on Setlist of, of what you've seen of Setless and. Uh, but, uh, it's, Hey, y- yeah, you can't argue with free. So, uh, I won't complain too much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Right. No, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great site. And, um, it's, it, you know, kind of, quite frankly, a few artists, it's, it's kind of nice to see sometimes what they play too, if you're going to see them. Um, I know that kind of is a little bit of a spoiler sometimes, but I, I do it, you know, I, I'm I started like, doing it too. On a few like classic rock type shows, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of curious what they're gonna play, you know. So I don't like memorize it, and I still try to act kind of surprised. But it's it's nice to take a peek at it, and that's yep. for that's for bands that don't change their set list really all that much. It comes in handy there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so yep, yeah, I, can, I, I know when to take my piss breaks during Kiss concerts and things like that, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Good. That's 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 a pro move. Yeah. So good stuff, man. Yeah, setlist.fm. Gosh, my next one, we've, I'm sure, devoted a whole episode to to this artist. And um, we could we could certainly probably talk about him until dawn. Um, But I'm thankful for Neil Young's longevity. Um, I just like specifically his longevity. Yeah. 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 Specifically. I I just had Neil Young, but I said his longevity, Um, you know, um, he's a guy that's that, that is still, he's in such a small circle of people that he's still putting out interesting music at nearly 75 years old. Now, Neil Young is one of my favorite musicians. Um, You know, he'd be in like my top 10 if I made one. But I there are other artists that have have catalogs that maybe I value more than his. Um, but nobody can match the quality of his work spread out over now what like five decades or some shit, <laughs> right? Um, maybe more, six decades, seven decades. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's there's nobody else that can. You know, I mean, the only people. I would I would include in that sh- very short list would be Bruce Springsteen, who's a little bit younger than Neil, and and rest rest in peace Tom Petty. You know, like are, I can't think of any mo- any other people. Um, occasional like not student- rock, but like Willie Willie. I would put yeah. Willie Nelson in there. He's yeah he's remained relevant. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And when you say relevant, you know, it's not like like Neil albums like shoot to the top of the charts. No, yeah, same like with that. Willie. But yeah. but they they make interesting music still, exactly, and it, yeah. it still seems like sort of quote unquote an event when they release a record. Um, and it's and, and like Neil, even if, um, you know, even if even if he he doesn't always he puts out a lot of material, 
So even if it isn't always something that that like I, I really go back and listen to a lot, I'm always interested in, in what he's going to do, um, you know, because a lot of other big name artists, classic rock gods of yesteryear, you know, they're still satisfying to see live. Uh, I enjoy seeing them live, but they don't always put out good studio work, even if they put out any at all, you know, anymore. I mean, can you imagine if Neil, he wouldn't be the same artist if he would have taken the the tack that like, you know, I don't know, name them like somebody like the who even, you know, no disrespect, like if Betsy's listening, but like, you know, She's like not. releasing, releasing, releasing two records over the course of, you know, 20 you know, years, 20 years, but, years yeah. but also constantly touring and pretty much playing the same songs every night, you know, and again, I love them and, and they're, they'll always have a place in my heart, but like, you know, Neil puts out a new record and it's, it's usually worth listening. It's always, it's always, it's not usually, it's always worth listening to is always worth listening to like as much as you're going to listen to like, you know, tonight's the night. No, but it's, um, he keeps me interested. You know, he maintains my interest, even if he doesn't necessarily land every punch. And I think that for many older artists, I think the three of us and any other semi discerning music fan would say, Oh, you know, I wish I would have caught artist X in their heyday. You know, I wish I would have caught the Stones in their heyday. I wish I would have caught Led Zeppelin in their heyday. I wish I would have caught, you know, you know, the Who in their heyday. I mean, the three of us can say that we saw a heyday that that never really never really ended all that much, at least for Neil. So I'm ble- I'm blessed to be able to enjoy his entire catalog. Um and have experienced a good chunk of that catalog, like during my lifetime when I was able to right. listen to music, you know. And I, I got like to I see him now. twice, and he didn't disappoint either time. Yeah, you know, he never really does. I mean, it's it's um, you know the live shows are you know the set list. He doesn't you know he doesn't change it up with Grateful Dead like you know variety or even Pearl Jam like variety for that matter. But you know, it's it's enough to. to the one uh, show was his, his, his concerts aren't redundant. Go ahead, though. I'm sorry. Uh, one of the times was when they had reunited with Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young. Right. Yeah. And it was at St. Louis at the the Savas Center, the Keel yeah. Center, whatever they call it now. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I truly feel like if Neil Young hadn't been there, the concert wouldn't have been nearly as good. I saw one one of those tours, I think like 2002, and that I, was I, compl- the I completely agree. Yeah, yeah, it was. I think it wasn't the first time they got back together, but maybe the second time, a couple of years later. Um, and I agree with you. Yeah, it's um, if he wasn't there, I, I wouldn't have been interested in going all that much, you know. And the set list for that tour didn't really change, but that's like an exception, you know. I think he's right. he's um, you know. I don't know. He's he's a member of a band. Well, I don't know. You know what I mean. He's yeah. He's got other people's catalogs that he has to showcase to uh, during those yeah. shows. For sure. But yeah, you know, I'm I'm thankful for uh, Neil. Well into his AARP years, still putting yeah. out you know music that interests me. I can't say that. I can I can only say that about about a, a very very small handful of people that emerged in the '60s and '70s. He put out sure. nine albums in the 2010s. Yeah, and, well, let me, and, and, ahead, and, and most most bands half his age are putting out a third of that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me ask you this, right? Um, can you rank your top three Neil albums since 1990? So that would be Ragged Glory on, right? And they can they they can include they can include Crazy Horse or 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 otherwise. It's it's hard. Um, okay, got, so go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in um, uh, Ragged Glory is absolutely in there. Um, Harvest Moon is really good, but I, it, uh, it might be overplayed yeah, in my, my brain. Um, Sleeps with Angels, Mirrorball, um, uh, Broken yeah, Arrows up there. Lenoir's is amazing. You've you've only got you've 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 surpassed three. I know, right? <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I'll say uh, uh, Ragged Glory, Sleeps with Angels, and Mirrorball. I'll I'll go Harvest Moon, Mirrorball, Greendale. Nice, nice. I so was, yeah, I, I was gonna say Ragged Glory, probably Harvest Moon, and then Mirrorball. It's and it's funny because I mean he when he toured on Greendale. It hadn't been released yet, right? And and that's like that's the thing that that you know really tells you that this you know this is a dude who marches to the beat of his own drum, and that he'll uh, he'll release and he'll he'll release a record and then go on tour and not play any songs from that record, but rather play songs from a record that's yet to be released. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like I said, you know, like I I, I mean he. He, his live shows will, if it's like a standard Neil tour, quote unquote, will will include a lot of familiar tunes, and those will be played every night. But um, like you said, you know, he'll do something totally just unorthodox, you know, like yeah. like uh, like that. You know, another one I like a lot. I listened to it last night actually in preparation for this episode. I like Psychedelic Pill a lot. Yes, I would think yes. it's it's an honorable mention. I mean, it's got a 27 minute opening track, um, and, and I'm going to be referencing that in one of my later items. Um, oh yeah, uh, in that in that I heard that live. I love I love the uh, Ramada Inn as well on it. Oh, um, yeah, Sleeps with Angels is great too. Um, I, I I'll say this: even though Sleeps with Angels didn't crack my top three, it would definitely be an honorable mention. Change Your Mind is probably my favorite Neil song. Yeah. since 1990 yeah agreed yeah agreed yeah yeah um uh it's uh if if, if you ever want to bring a tear t- to this old man's eye you, you just you spin change your mind and oh god and, uh yeah six seven minutes in and yeah i'm a wreck and, and, and i like i like i i can i can find redeeming qualities in about every release like i i guess probably like if there's I, I'm not crazy about Are You Passionate? Um, I think it's, it's underrated. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, tell you what, man, I won't badmouth it too much because I need to listen to it again. I didn't get a chance to listen to it prior to this episode again. I bought it at the time it came out, and it didn't grab me. I listened to it a couple times again over the years. It never really grabbed me. Um, I don't like Prairie Wind as much as a lot of people seem to. Um, I would... Overproduced is rarely a word I would use to describe Neil's music, but maybe Prairie Wind and Are You Passionate might be a little too produced for me. Yeah. Um, and then also like the Monsanto stuff, it's I get it, he's passionate about it, but it's 
it's all a little on the nose, so to speak. You yeah, know? Like, Earth and yeah. Yeah, like uh, it's just you know I I get it. Don't get me wrong. He's right. You know, a lot of things are really fucked. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if I want to really hear him go on about it for you know a full album. It's just me. Is he one of the only artists that you could say his weakest point in his career was was like? was like two-fifths of the way through it and then like everything else is amazing oh, and the two-fifths yeah. being like the early 80s uh stuff like trans uh, and stuff yeah 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 like the least yeah. accessible stuff is is reactor trans everybody's rocking old ways landing <laughs> on water life i know He's but like, like i kind of i kind of in a in a perverse way kind of like those albums though sure know? sure yeah um but I, it's I just so strange that like those are probably like some of the last ones you reach for though sure and yet they were um they're at a point in his career where you would think oh this is this is normally some of the uh, some of the juiciest stuff but yeah it, not 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 for neil it's he's yeah. just so unorthodox like that right yeah Oh, yeah. So, so I, I he's, yeah. you know, knock on wood, he's probably got a couple more in him too. So yeah. I think so. I yeah. think so. Good deal. Well, yeah, that's Neil. Something to always be thankful for. So good one there. Um, my next item on the list is it kind of combines both music and sports and, and baseball in general too. But um, that's just the whole rock music sports bio novel i'm super thankful for him and and now in the time of quarantine i guess everyone has less of time to maybe read if they want to but um more time to read throughout the years i've had the the pleasure of reading lots of different i've always been into into music biographies and sports biographies so i've i've had the pleasure of reading um a bunch and so Probably my favorite baseball one is is the classic from 1970, Ball Four, with written by Jim Bouton, the oh, yeah. the Yankees pitcher. Which at the time it was considered like super risque, and like the commissioner of baseball tried to have it banned, and like mm-hmm. they were like, we can't let people know that baseball players are like this, like because I guess up until that point, people had this illusion that like baseball players were like still like you know the all American choir boys, and yeah, yeah, he he's like talking about them popping speed pills and like playing right. hungover and drunk and was having sex on the road, right? M- like, Mickey yeah. Mantle on the roof with a telescope peeping in windows, <laughs> shit, right. yeah, right. yeah, and so um. <laughs> That was that was one of my first introductions it, it, into it. It lifted my, the veil, so to speak. Yeah, go ahead. My though. dad had that book, so like mm. I bet I read that book like in like when I was like eleven years old or something, because I it was on the shelf and you know in the other room, and um, uh, some of the music ones I've read. One was uh, Let It Blurt, which is about Lester Bangs, the the mm. rock critic. It's an excellent. Excellent uh, biography. And then um, two of the more interesting ones that I've read and what kind of made it even more interesting was that they're, it's like you get both points of view is I've read Robbie Robertson's book and LeVon Helm's book. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of get to see both sides of that whole story. And um, it's, just amazing that the relationship that that band had and the way it all went down at the end and everything. 
Mm-hmm. But um, do you guys have any favorite like sports or music books that you've read throughout the years? Yeah, one of, one of my favorite um, music books growing up was uh, Midnight Riders. I think it was called Midnight Riders, the story of the Allen Brothers Band. I have that. I've got right that. Over I think I have show. your copy. I From like the mid nineties. Yeah, I literally have reason. a copy of yeah. it. Ten feet. From nice. You. That the way yeah, that that's written, I, I mean, I don't know if it's good prose. I, I wrote, I read it when I was like 16 or whatever, but it just, the stories it told have really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate that an author does that mm-hmm. and, 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 and helps kind of build the legend of a band and, uh, uh, endears them to me even more so. You know, Kiss put out four solo albums, and also every member has put out an autobiography, right? So I would rate the Kiss autobiographies here as Peter Cri- <laughs> and none of them. None of them are really that spectacular. Um, no, no, Kiss's autobiographies. <laughs> um, but well, I mean, like you, you I, I think I, a lot of people were disappointed in Aces because they thought it was going to be cool, full, full of like a lot of like, you know, because he's crazy. And, you know, he was like the fun guy in the band. Um, but his his biography, autobiography was kind of weak. Um, so I'd go Chris, Paul, Ace, and then Gene, just because Gene is just, you know, him, sure. him yeah. being yeah. Gene Simmons, essentially. Um so so yeah so those um I got you know I've got a long list of rock autobiographies that I need to check off like I bought Greg Ullman's and I haven't read it yet a long time ago I bought Clapton's I haven't read it I haven't read Keith Richards I'm kind of embarrassed to say um so I've got a bunch of them and I need to read them so I'm not the best at answering this question really um yeah so in, in baseball well I did read a good baseball not it's not nonfiction but i read a good baseball novel uh last month or a month before i read cactus league by emily i think nevins nevins um i don't have the her name in front of me she writes she's the editor of the paris review i think um but that was good i enjoyed it um the no. premise is it's spring training yeah that? yeah you know it's uh it's it's basically a, a web of characters connected to baseball and spring training uh, you know, a, one superstar player, uh, like an old veteran hitting coach, uh, an owner, um, a um, kind of a a buxom kind of hanger on, you know, who's kind of down on her luck and looking for, you know, one last fling with a baseball player, you know. Um, so, yeah, pretty good. It 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 um, it uh, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I it's probably a pipe dream, but I'd, I'd like to have, it'd be cool to, if we could ever have her on or something like that to talk about it. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that was pretty good. I, I, I enjoyed that. Um, I read eight men out a long time ago. Um, I've got that one. Did you guys read a lot of Matt Christopher when you were a kid? Catch <laughs> <laughs> her with the glass arm, man. Yeah, I read some Matt Christopher. Matt, yeah. So for people who don't know Matt, Matt Christopher uh, was an author is was an author who wrote these uh, little league fiction stories for like yeah. third, fourth, fifth graders. And uh, I, I, I got to pull up, I got to pull up a cover of one of these. They, they would include. <laughs> 
like box scores and you would you would go through entire seasons i think and you would kind of like root for certain players and and um you would look at the stats in the back if i recall correctly and and uh man yeah for for like a middle school or elementary school kid just wanted to eat up some baseball matt christopher fed it to you i uh i remember the catcher with the glass arm that's the only title i remember you know (laughs) Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Levi, you got to catch up, man. <laughs> well, I, 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 yeah, I, I have some week. new reading for my quarantine now. <laughs> yeah. Get, yeah. get the Matt Christopher collection delivered. <laughs> if we could get yeah. Matt Christopher on. <laughs> <laughs> still alive. Yeah, right, huh? So no, like, I, glass I, arm, how'd you do it, you son <laughs> of a bitch? <laughs> no, Matt Christopher died in 1997. Oh, damn. Uh-huh. Yeah. But there's, yeah, and Levi, I mean, you, you've got me wanting to read, you know, like I, 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 I bought the fuck, like, and like I said, I own a lot of these and I haven't even gotten to them or Steph owns them. Like I, I you know, a, one of the better rock autobiographies allegedly of the last few years is the Patty Smith one, you know, and I, I haven't, everybody raves about it, um, you know, and uh, I, I haven't gotten to that one yet either. Just kids, I think it's called. Yeah. So I got a long list, man. I need to get through these. Um, did you know the catcher with the glass arm is 1964? Well, I saw when I pulled it up, I saw there was a bunch of incarnations of the cover. So I was yeah. like, oh, wow, that book's been around a while. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um, Gabe, did you read the Jeff Tweedy file? I have it, man. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. Levi, it. you read that too, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. You guys liked it? Yeah. I would yeah. imagine he's, he's, uh, he's probably a good writer too, is my guess, you know, or. It flows. Yeah. 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 Cause I mean, even, even some, not everybody can pull that off. Even if you, even if you write a good song, doesn't mean you're necessarily going to write good prose, you know? Um, so yeah, I'd imagine he, he's one of the few people that can do that. Well, and it helps too, that he's a guy who frequently speaks on stage. So, you know, his voice and his, and his affectations very well. Right. And so I bet that goes a long way to making a biography or an autobiography, I should say more enjoyable is just kind of knowing how, how the, how the artist phrases things. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you can totally hear him. He's yeah. He's your inner, inner dialogue when you read it. (laughs) Sweet. Yeah. Nice. Nice. All right, so um, gosh, we're here at the ten minute warning already. <laughs> All right, we're right. Let's do we'll do this, the top forties okay. now. So we're in the Casey Kasem territory, yeah. um, and uh, so uh, my next favorite thing about uh, baseball and rock and roll is the Effectively Wild podcast. Mm. So the Effectively Wild uh, is a podcast that uh, quote covers a mix of timely baseball topics from the serious to the absurd a few times per week. So it, it uh, effectively wild will take a sharp analytical angle at nearly every topic in baseball. And that's kind of why I love it. And not, I'm not necessarily a deep analytics expert, but I can keep up just enough. And that's all you need to be able to enjoy each and every episode. Um, so it's both light and dense at the same time. Uh, the mainstay host is uh, Ben Lindbergh, and when I started listening, he had a co-host who was hired away by the Tampa Bay Rays uh, about a year and a half ago, I think. Uh, so they brought in an old co-host, Sam Miller, with whom, in an experiment we'd all enjoy, Ben and Sam 
ran a Pacific Coast League team oh, for a I season, yeah. and, and and they wrote a book about that. Um, another uh, co-host uh, that they mix in is Meg Rowley, and they uh, everybody's like really friendly and insightful, um, and they don't pretend to have all the answers necessarily. And frequently, if a question comes up, it'll be completely tackled in a later episode with figures backing it up. Um, and so there's a lot of oh and aha moments <laughs> mm-hmm. at the same time. And I'll admit that I don't necessarily retain everything that's that's discussed. But in the moment, like when you're uh, it's it's completely engrossing and just like a great brain exercise while doing the dishes. And uh, a few times per week, uh, about an hour each episode. And uh, you you never know what the focus is going to be on, and uh, uh, it, might, it it might be you know uh, the value of uh, often it's about Mike Trout or Shohei Otani um, because they are enamored with those ball players, but then it can equally be uh, about a, a a player from the early 20th century that flew under the radar that mm. was remarkable for completely other reasons. Yeah. And and again with with all of the stats to back it up, so the effectively wild podcast. I I, I have listened a couple times. Uh, it's not a regular listen for me, but uh, yeah, I, I I see the appeal. I definitely um, they've they've got they they set a good tone and uh, they don't have like this know it all vibe to them. But it is it is uh, they've got a good take on things. I, I, I new I, to I, me. I'll have to check them out. Yeah, I've only listened to a couple of them, but uh, yeah, it's uh, Jonathan. Um, I'm always quoting them. Yeah, yes. In our texts. <laughs> yes. Right. 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 I probably right. claim a lot of the knowledge that I just lifted off of. Right. <laughs> just without attribution. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. But um, uh, yeah, I, and I highly recommend you check them out, uh, especially now um, in in this time without much uh, baseball discussion, because uh, they're produced by FanGraphs, which is a great analytics website, oh, yeah. uh, which is looking for support in a time that is supposed to be their, um, uh, their busy season, of course, yeah. with, uh, with, with the beginning of baseball. And, and so they're looking for support for their writers and, sure. um, yeah. uh, and content producers. Yeah. Cool. All right. Oh, is it back to me now? Or, uh, uh yeah, we're, we're, we're uh, at about, uh, 55 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do, uh, let's do, uh, one each then, you know, uh, then we'll, we'll wrap it up here. I don't think this one will take long for me. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things I was looking forward to, uh, in the 2020 baseball season, um, I was looking forward to the Padres returning to their golden Brown uniforms. Um, we, we we did a whole show, I think, on uniforms one time. I'll have to probably dig, dig it out and post a link to it or something. But um, and I think we probably sung the praises of um, of the Padres um, brown and, and gold uniforms because they are pretty gorgeous. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad. I don't know if you guys got to see the the kind of the update that they did of it for this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks good. It's it's. Um, Obviously, they're not going to go totally throwback like I want, but they 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 did a good job of of kind of merging the previous uniform they have with the old co- and infusing the old color scheme into it, basically. Um, so yeah, I, I was I was excited about that. Uh, looking forward to seeing some brown on the field again. You know, I don't think brown's a color that's in 
enough professional sports teams motifs. So, uh, yeah. Pretty rare. So, yeah, Cleveland Browns, 80s, 70s and 80s Padres. That's about it. Yeah, yeah. maybe the Canucks at one point had a really yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, maybe it's like the, um, you know, maybe it's just kitsch value. I don't know. But I, I was really looking forward to um, to those uniforms. Um, I feel like so many, you know, people are starting to, you know, if you go to a baseball game now, you see a lot of the throwback shirts, you know, it's 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 popular. So um, it's it's people are starting to, to, you know, and again, it might just be sort of culture of irony kind of thing, you know? Um, but, uh, I definitely want to see that rather than people like taking their cues from like the Oregon Ducks style, you know, um, uh, uniform design. Yeah. So can our generation kind of take credit for this, uh, uh, this rejuvenation of the vintage styles? I think so. Um, Yeah. To the point where, I mean, the, the, the Padres brought brought the brown and gold back. I mean, yeah, right. Which, like, if you were say like us. 10, 50, 20 years ago, people have been like, "Oh my God, why would they do that?" You know. Right. Whereas right. now, it people are like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense, or that'll be cool." Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think nostalgia rules nowadays. I mean, yeah, I use the term like I think it's like this kind of culture of irony, you know? Yeah. Too, you yeah. know? It's, yeah. Yeah. Nostalgia yeah. rules. Um, you know, it's um, it's it's so ugly, it's pretty type thing. You know. Yeah. <laughs> We all just want to live in times that feel safer, and we in which we know the ending too. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, for the for the record, uh, uh, uniform uh, episodes include episode ninety seven about a year ago today, opening day twenty nineteen. We discussed okay. uniforms with the aforementioned Ricky Cobb. Um, uh, in episode number twenty seven uh, from twenty fifteen, we discussed some of the best and worst uh, baseball uniforms, past okay. and present. Okay. Nice. So yeah, so I was looking forward to the to the uh, to the uh, the friars uh, going out there and uh, and um, playing in the the brown yeah. and gold. But keep my fingers Only crossed. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of you know nostalgia, my next one kind of parlays into that. Um, you know, I never, I never, never made it over to Japan to the to the multi-story tower records where you ride the escalator up through all the floors. But I did get to ride an escalator to a music store once or twice in my life. And that was at white Oaks mall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what was the one that was upstairs. It was either music land and Sam Goody. Like there was one another one was, called JR's music. One was mm-hmm. like upstairs. One was downstairs, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like I, that was probably my first experience at buying music was at a mall store. Just oh, yeah. because that, A, I hadn't been to like recycled records yet. I didn't know about them. And then like the the birth of Best Buy, you know, crushing all the other music stores. It mm-hmm. hadn't really happened yet. But um, yeah, I, I just... I have fond memories of going to the mall and buying buying cassettes. <laughs> nice. I um, yeah. Do you guys remember JR's? There was a place called JR's. I do kind of remember that now that you. Yeah. Can. Yeah. It um, that's where I. Uh, God, what did I buy there? 
Uh, shit, I don't remember. I don't I think remember JR's. I, yeah, it was it was upstairs, I believe. Yeah, I do remember uh, it. And then okay. and then I want to say maybe JR's maybe may have turned into Sam Goody. Okay, maybe. Because you said what was there was Sam Goody and then what was there was the a other? Sam Goody and then there was a Music Land. Music Land, right? I remember Music Land. Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, uh, the 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 CDs I remember were were in the center, um, and then the the tapes were up against the walls. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And then VHS was like really popular then too. So For usually sure. those stores had a VHS selection as well. Sure. And then Suncoast moved in. And <laughs> right. Suncoast yeah. was like, right, man. man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, I, you know what I didn't realize until at the time, you know, once, you know, and so later I had the opportunity and the pleasure to work at Recycled Records. So I kind of got a little bit of insight into the independent music store business. And Best Buy was literally like selling new releases at like a loss pretty mm-hmm. much every week mm-hmm. just to get yeah. people in the store to buy other stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, by them doing that, it literally crushed all the other independent music stores, basically. Yep. Yeah, it's just some crazy. nefarious shit. I, I, I'm looking it up here. There is there is one Suncoast remaining in Texas, at least as of November 2019. Wow. Oh, good for them. Yeah. <laughs> Is, is there still a Kenny Rogers Roasters out there, man? I'm kind of. I'm, I'm guessing maybe like like they just like maybe the the parent company like didn't pick up the name or something like that, you know? Because I'm like, how, how could they keep one of them open, you know? Like, why would they do that? But uh, huh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Musicland and 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 Sam Goody. Wow. Yeah, I um, I miss uh, you know, one of my favorite um, speaking of music stores in a mall. I know you follow them too, uh, Levi. It's usually got a couple of girls on their um, Spin Me Round Records in New Jersey. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're in a mall. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're a fun. Uh, they're, I mean, it's it's in New Jersey, but yeah, they're a fun uh, New Jersey or Pennsylvania. They're a fun uh, Instagram feed, and they're they're in the mall. And I read like a little interview with uh, the owner, and she, you know, for a lot of the same nostalgia that we have, she's like, you know, I went to the to the mall to, to buy music, so I want to yeah. keep keep that going. So yeah, it so, seems like seem like they're doing some good stuff. Levi, for the record, then is your item the idea of going to the mall to, to buy music? Well, yeah, that basically the the idea of going to the mall to consume music, yeah. Because I like used to not always I used to, to not always music. have money to buy the music. That was the thing. You could go to these stores right. and I can't remember. They would have the little displays on the wall and you could take off which now seems really grody, but like people would share headphones. You would like yeah. pull some headphones down and like push a button or two and like listen to samples of music. Sometimes yeah, like that was how you got introduced yeah. to yeah. new music. And because you know? when you were a kid too, you know, like every time you went to the mall, you didn't always get something. You know exactly what I mean? Like, yeah. like you know, like so it was kind of it was nice just to look. You're like, oh, next time is when I'll get it, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. you're like, oh, thumbing through just the Or just mow a couple more yards, you know? Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Or like I said, to just be able to, like, see the new releases and then, like, be able to listen to clips of some of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was a... It was a, it was a it Do you was have a, any memories? Do you remember, like, your first music purchase, Jonathan? I remember... Those were definitely my first CD purchases. And okay. Um, was was at Musicland, uh, and it was 
um, it, it was likely something like Bad Motor Finger, Soundgarden's Bad Motor Finger. I remember thinking about buying, or in Mother Love Bone as well, I remember thinking about buying Green River because I knew that that was an ancestor of Pearl Jam, and I hid it, like, in another section. <laughs> and um, to this day, I still have never bought that album. <laughs> still <laughs> waiting wasn't for you there. Yeah. yeah, it's still waiting for me. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the first CD I bought was 10. Um, and I can't remember if I got that at Best Buy or at the mall. I want to say probably it was Musicland probably would have still been around. I'm 91. 90, 90, mm-hmm. no, I, think I, I, think I think I got it maybe in 92, not 91. Uh, yeah, yeah, me too. Um, so that. Um, and then the first cassette I bought, which definitely would have been at JR's or Musicland, was David Lee Roth, Eat and Smile. Um, that was the first cassette I bought on my own. And then... Billy Idol's Rebel Yell, like, that was kind of my purchase, but, like, my dad had the turntable, but, like, he kind of bought the album for me. Like, let me, like we went to the store, and he let me pick out the record, you know what I mean? Cool. So, nice. So, yeah, so that would have been, like, 84 or so. Um, so, yeah, so I, I remember that. And I, I do, we purchased that at the mall. It would have been, it would have been probably at, at, at Musicland or, or JR's, yeah. Yeah, that that means I, I likely purchased Brian Adams "Waking Up the Neighbors" cassette at at uh, at Sam Goody probably around circa whatever nineteen ninety ninety one. Yeah, yeah. There was a, I mean, I, I can remember buying music at Venture back in the day. Do you remember Venture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of yeah. kind of like an upscale. It was like in between remember, a Kmart the music and Target section, or though. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Venture. It used to be. Um, it was over like uh, by where. Sorry, everybody. For everybody's like, what? The, what are they talking about? Like, um, it was. It was um, in Springfield on uh, what was it? MacArthur. No. Yeah, it was. It Fox was. Yeah. yeah, it was right yeah, down by the Fox Movie Theater. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Last time I was there, I saw Copland. I think. <laughs> ah, yeah, Levi. We saw Copland together. Yeah. Yeah. We did at the Fox. Yeah. Good movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's a tangent. All right, anything more about visiting the mall to uh, purchase your first music? No, no. All right. All right, well, then I'm going to close up here with um, one of my early favorite, well, I shouldn't say early, but but one of my peak baseball moments in fandom. Um, you know, I, I, I raised myself a Boston Red Sox fan uh, from the age of 10 and then finally, at the age of 24 in the year 2004, it all came to fruition. And uh, this was the year in which the Red Sox were down to the Yankees three games to none in the AL Championship Series. This is the year after they lost to the Yankees in oh. seven games in the ALCS to Aaron fucking Boone, hitting <laughs> uh, a, a, a series-clenching home run, uh, believing it's Tim Wakefield. So... Uh, flash forward one year later, the Red Sox fall to the Yankees three games to none, um, uh, the first three games, and uh, but claw their way back uh, to a game seven at Yankee Stadium. And uh, uh, you can feel it that this this is the year that they're going to be the first team to ever um, not 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 just to finally overcome the Yankees, but but to mm-hmm. come back from a three games to none deficit. Yeah. And. Um, uh, the, the, in game seven, it starts off right. They, they take a lead and, um, Johnny Damon comes up to the plate, 
uh, with the bases loaded and um, and the top of the second inning with a 2-1 lead. And up to this point, Damon was, uh, in the first six games of the series, he was 3-for-29 with zero home runs and one RBI. Mm-hmm. So top of the second, bases loaded, 2-1 lead. Johnny Damon hits a grand slam uh, at, to, to give him a 6-1 to one lead. This this was a grand slam that was immortalized in a Ben Harper song for uh, oh, yeah. what that's get worth. It, get it, look, you like it or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Off of a solid Ben Harper record. And um, uh, Johnny Damon then comes up again in the top of the fourth with a man on, hits another home run to take mm-hmm. an eight to one lead to give the Red Sox an eight to one lead. Johnny Damon goes three for six with two home runs and six RBI in that game seven, and the Red Sox clinch the AL pennant, go on to sweep the Cardinals in the World Series, and the curse is broken. So mm-hmm. the moment in particular I'm talking about is the Johnny Damon Grand Slam uh, to give them the 6-1 to lead because it took all the pressure off. The Yankees just knew that it wasn't going to happen, that the Red Sox had come back and uh, uh, done the accomplished the seemingly impossible and uh, uh, came back from three games to none to uh, uh, clinch at Yankee Stadium and uh, uh, go to their first World Series since uh, since 1986 and win their first World Series since 1918. And uh, it, it was it was a joyous final seven innings, eight innings right. there to uh, to just bask in it and uh, really whoop it up. And um, yeah, Johnny Damon Grand Slam Game Seven, immortalized by Ben Harper. I think I think nearly everybody was a Red Sox fan, um, except for unless you were a Yankees fan um, that, or a Cardinals that, uh, fan. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, even Cardinals, Cardinals fans knew they're like, all right, just let it. They, they can't, yeah, they can't stop the team just on a roll like that. You know, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, so. it was a formality at that point. Yeah, well, and it's like poetic full circle. Like Johnny Damon started his career with Kansas City, and now that's your hometown. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So um, uh, I don't think he lives here or anything. Uh, There are no vestiges of Johnny Damon around. (laughs) I mean, he was with you guys like six years or something, though, I think, wasn't he? Yeah. He had some really good years. Uh, Then he went and signed a big contract with the Yankees. And uh, after he was on the Red Sox. After Boston. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he did okay. He actually won another ring with the Yankees in 09. Um, And then he, uh, he... Played a played a couple seasons in Detroit too near the end. The close of Johnny Damon's career is like you could not guess. What, did he go to Oakland too? I think he might have played uh, Oakland. Now that you say that, yeah. No, he he played for the A's actually after Kansas City, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He was he was on the A's um, in between the Royals and the Red Sox. Just okay. briefly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sorry. Baseball yeah, yeah. reference has for to come one up season. Here. Um, and then, yeah, it was the Red Sox for four years, the Yankees for four years, then the Tigers, the Rays, and the Indians. I'm sorry, the Cleveland Baseball Club um, <laughs> for 64 games. Um, and I mean, he he finished his he finished his career 284 batting average, 70, 785 OPS, um, 2769 hits. So he was only he was just 231 hits away from 3000 and he was venturing into that territory people were wondering if he was going to become the first 3000 hitter 3000 hit king to not make the hall of fame Mm -hmm. because um he would have been 
at best a, a borderline Hall of Famer with a career 104 OPS plus. So, um, uh, his 408 career stolen bases, though. He, he had a lot uh, of steals. I mean, he, he yeah. was he was he led the league in steals one year. Yeah, uh, two-time yeah. All Star. It looks like. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It surprised yeah. me. I thought he would have made more. He was always pretty popular. I'm surprised he didn't make more All Star teams. Right, right. But it's you know in the outfield, it's it's always yeah, you know it's kind of congested right. out there. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, even up there into the end, you know, his second to last year, 16 home runs, 73 RBI. I mean, that's not awful. Um, 19 stolen bases in Tampa. Yeah, I would have had no idea he played for Tampa. You would have. Right? I would have. Never guess. I, I only know Detroit because, like, I think I went to a couple White Sox games that year where they played the Tigers, and I saw him play on Detroit. I so, wouldn't. I wouldn't have put money on him playing for Detroit. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. Damon. Well, good stuff, go. guys. Yeah, lots of fun. Um, so yeah, good, uh, good wrapping with you boys again. And we got through another you- nine. That's right. I want to remind everybody, um, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RockInChew. That's in as in coconuts. You guys remember that music chain, Coconuts? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was across the street from the mall. I, I, I bought an Elvis CD from Coconuts. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Coca- um, yeah, so check us at Rock. Uh, in chew and then follow us um on uh you can look check us look us up on facebook and you can listen to every single episode of rock and roll shinsu chew all at rockchew.com or on youtube or your favorite podcast app well until next time we will see you soon uh take care of one another out there stay safe and healthy and uh we'll see you soon take care Peace.